It's Monday, October 12th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Happy Monday, my friend. It is a lovely Monday, isn't it? It is a lovely Monday. It is a merger Monday. Merger Monday. Big time merger Monday. <laughs> Big time the merger news Monday. Fairy has given us something today. Yeah, let's start with Dell, which is now a private company buying storage data firm EMC in a deal worth $67 billion. Biggest tech deal ever. Private company buying a public company. They are doing this with the help of a couple of private equity firms, Silver Lake and MSD Partners. You look at how this is being valued out at $33.15 a share, and EMC stock still in the high 20s, not really moving. And I look at that and I think, okay, so Dell has announced this. Does no one believe this is actually going to happen? Because Uh that's what the stock being flat says to me. It, well, yeah, I mean, it would imply that today for sure, um, and you can be certainly understandable to infer that. I, I think um, you know one of the things to consider here is that this is a deal that isn't expected to close until between sometime of May and October of of next year. So there is a lot of time here, and there is a go shop clause for EMC, um, which essentially means they can go out and try to shop for a better deal. And, and so there is there's a lot of time in play here. And uh, you know that time basically means uncertainty, and I think that it's it's fair to at least think it's plausible that perhaps either this deal doesn't go through, or there's some other kind of an offer made, or uh, you know one or both of the parties decide to back out after some due diligence is done. Um, with that said, I mean it, it does seem like they've thought this through, and they've and they've made out a very considerate offer here. Um, and so my my inclination is to believe it probably will go through. I think for EMC. You know, I mean, this the lines in tech continue to blur, right? I mean, as as it becomes more as we move to more towards a mobile society uh, based on cloud computing, based on infrastructure needs, and we've seen how Dell had such a hard time on the hardware side. Uh, so going private, I think, for Dell was really a good thing to get sort of out of that public eye, and perhaps for EMC that'll be, uh, you know, ultimately a good thing as well. Because I mean, when you look at you look at EMC's Income statement. I mean, it's not like they're growing at some you know terribly rapid rate, and profitability is has been flat over the past few years. Uh, I, I think the interesting part here, in regard to EMC, is actually the exposure to VMware, which is another publicly traded company that EMC holds about eighty percent share in. Um, and VMware is is focused on building the infrastructure for enterprises, and in particular. Uh, VMware bought a company a little while back called AirWatch, which is focused on enterprise mo- mobility management. Another business I follow in that in that space called Mobile Iron. Uh, I you know this is basically bringing mobile uh, computing uh, into the workspace where you know employees at enterprises can can use their own device of choice with with a secure and separate uh, enterprise uh, sort of platform there. And so I, I think those are all really interesting sort of dynamics to to the business of VMware as well. And and you know that's going to be the the shareholders will get a stake in that via uh, shares that that aren't really. Uh, right, it's a tracking ownership. They're right, calling yeah. it a tracking, a stock. tracking stock. So it gives you sort of the benefit of the stock ownership without really sort of the benefits uh, or the rights that come with that. Typically, voting rights, but but the the tracking stock is geared to track that actual performance of of how you know VMware stock is is doing. So I mean, there are a lot of lot of things at play here with this deal, and then I think that's really why you are not seeing the stock move much today. But uh, certainly a big big deal. I give Michael Dell a lot of credit because 
we certainly see this in the technology space. We see it in other industries as well, where a company finds success doing one thing, and then they find it very difficult to let go of whatever that one thing is. And if you think about what Dell was 20 years ago, it was a consumer-facing, consumer-friendly PC business. And they really differentiated themselves by saying, hey, we're not the monolith PC maker where one size fits all, you can customize it. They, And by the way, best performing stock of the 1990s, yeah. number one on the list. And so, to see Michael Dell take that company, and if this deal goes through, this really does complete the evolution of a consumer-facing business to one that is essentially an enterprise business. An enterprise business and one that's not public facing either. I mean, because if you look at this and you put all of these pieces together, it looks more and more like an IBM. Um, and, and, you know, IBM obviously a publicly traded company, one that hasn't done all that great here uh, as, as we move into, you know, the 21st century and mobile technology and really, you know, cloud computing. And it's just things are changing so fast now. Uh, I, I, you, you know, IBM seems to have been somewhat at least asleep at the wheel. Um, and so it'll, it'll be interesting to see how. All of these pieces put together. Uh, granted, we won't see probably as much as we, you know, used to, given given the public nature of the, of the companies. But I mean, it'll be interesting to see sort of how they progress and if they're able to really, if they're able really to iterate faster because they don't have the same scrutiny as they once did being public. Fiat Chrysler is spinning off Ferrari with an IPO. We do not yet know the date of the IPO, but we do now know the price range. And they're going to take this thing public at a range of forty-eight to fifty-two dollars a share. I know the vehicles are pricey. Sure. I guess I shouldn't be surprised <laughs> that the stock, at least the way Fiat Chrysler sees it, is going to be pricey right out of the gate. Is this? Am I the only one who thinks this is a, a, a bit expensive? <laughs> no, I would tend to agree with you there. Um, I mean, if you look at the valuation, I mean, this this basically implies a ten billion dollar market cap. Uh, somewhere in that neighborhood, and so I, I did a little math here before this, just to kind of put everything in context. Here, I thought it would be fun. Number one, to sort of look at the price to earnings comparisons, and then and then also let's let's also look at the price to car ratio because you can start start understanding a little bit better what kind of a premium Ferrari really does uh, garner here. So if we look at typical price to earnings metrics. I mean, if we look at Ford, for example, Ford is trading at around 16 times earnings today. If we look at Tesla, Tesla doesn't even have a price to earnings metric because it's not profitable yet. Uh, Ferrari, this this uh, valuation would imply around 33 times earnings. So you can see that's more than double of a Ford. Um, you know, the fact that it's profitable, I think, is is important, right? I mean, because that's kind of what we're waiting on with Tesla. And I think Tesla is probably the closest comparable in that they are selling sort of those same luxury high-priced cars. Um, albeit, you know, the fact that they're electric, they're a little bit different than what Ferrari's bringing to the market. But then let's look at sort of the cars produced. And uh, and in what I like to call the price to car ratio, Chris, because this is actually pretty interesting. If you look at Ford, Ford sold around 6.3 million cars in 2014, and at, at that current market cap, that implies about 9,498 dollar price to car ratio. Ferrari last year bumped up production. They normally kept it right at 7,000. Last year they bumped it up to a little bit more than 7,200. At a 10 billion market cap, that implies a 1.4 million dollar 
price to car ratio. <laughs> okay, so you know, one point four million dollars versus nine thousand four hundred ninety-eight. Now we look at Tesla at thirty-five thousand cars in two thousand and fourteen, and a twenty-eight and a half billion dollar market cap. That's about eight hundred and fifteen thousand dollar price to car ratio. You can see here clearly that Ferrari is is getting a premium in every regard, and and I think that's. More than likely deserved. I mean, Ferrari is a very reputable brand, a very powerful brand, one that has been around for a long time. I mean, you remember back in the day of Magnum PI, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, man, that was like the deck guy had, you know, <laughs> he had the car that was a Ferrari. I mean, remember talking about Ferraris are only five years old. So they've been around for a while. And I think that's, that's a brand they've done a very good job of protecting. I think they've created the demand by limiting the supply. And they've done a really good job of keeping that an exclusive brand, almost kind of like the Tiffany of cars in that they're not really going mainstream because going mainstream would, would more or less tarnish the brand. And one more notch in the brand belt, so to speak. The ticker symbol will be race. That's a pretty awesome ticker. I'm not going to lie. That's pretty strong. That's I, right up there with uh, Harley Davidson hog. You know another good one. I mean, this is <laughs> 180 degrees the opposite direction. But Natus Medical, their ticker is baby B A B Y. Natus Natus Medical focuses on you know medical equipment, particularly in like neonatal stuff, and so their ticker is baby. I've always liked that one too. Um, an interesting question I got. Matt Ross asked me on Twitter uh, last night if shareholders actually get free entrance into Ferrari World in Abu Dhabi. Uh, being being Ferrari share. What is that? A theme park? <laughs> now, Matt. I, so I didn't know this existed until I until I started looking this thing up. And man, I'm going to tell you, go Google this thing because it looks really cool. Ferrari World. Ferrari World. That's what it's called. It's 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 uh it's in Abu Dhabi. It's really neat. I, now, Matt, I can't say that I found anything that would say that shareholders do get uh you know uh you know entry into into Ferrari World. But but it would definitely be worth asking on a conference call. You know, you've kind of get, you've planted the seed. <laughs> I might just jump in on one of those calls and ask that question. Thanks to uh, Mohsin Bawa in Texas, I believe in Texas, because the photo that he sent to radio at fool.com, speaking of cars, is of a billboard <laughs> which go, says, need get? to file a Volkswagen diesel claim? And then the URL, wesuevw.com. I've got to get a picture That's wesuevw.com. And then the uh, <laughs> phone number is a, is a Houston, Texas area code, 713. So, that's why. So, thank you for that. Boy, someone, some law firm got on that quick. I can't believe they did. You know what would have just topped that sign off? If they put Lionel Hutz at the bottom of it. <laughs> just for giggles. I mean, you know, just for fun, Lionel Hutz, attorney at law. Again, I don't know who these people are, but they moved quickly on this. Good for them. They just said, where can we get a billboard? What's it cost? Let's throw that thing up there. That's like Better Call Saul. Remember the billboard thing at Better Call? It is. <laughs> That's what that reminds me of. It absolutely is. Uh, a couple of housekeeping notes before we get to our final story. First, congratulations to our colleague Morgan Housel and his uh, lovely wife Gretchen on the arrival this weekend of their boy, Miles Benjamin Housel. So... Excellent work. Welcome to the club. Excellent work. And when we say excellent work, we're we're speaking, of course, to Gretchen. Because sure, Morgan, of course. Morgan did none of the Morgan work. Morgan did none of the work. But we get to welcome him to the club. So I said good. it's it's the most rewarding and the toughest job you'll ever have. I mean, that's uh, absolutely. It's a lot of fun though. Enjoy the time. Had a great time in Miami this weekend at our Motley Fool One event. That's what it sounded like. It was a great time and uh, wonderful breakout sessions. We had two CEOs, uh, Steve Fredrickson from PRA Group and Thomas Petterfee from Interactive Brokers, both great, both highly informative. And I was I was telling you before 
we started taping, one of the biggest takeaways for me was Thomas Penerfee was asked by one of our members, what keeps you up at night? What in business keeps you up at night? And I thought to myself, I think if I were Thomas Penerfee, uh, having a, a rough guess at what his net worth is, I would think there'd be almost nothing that keeps me <laughs> up at night. And here's a guy who's made his life in technology, and he yeah. said point blank, what keeps me up at night is hackers. Hackers trying to take down the financial system. So I get it. Yeah. I mean, you know, Scott Trade just sent out an email to all of us fellow Scott Trade holders, the account holders that they were. They had a you know a some sort of a breach, and I mean, those are just that's part and parcel now. Just any anything you do, it's it's all. God, I mean, that's just it's amazing the vulnerabilities that are out there. Yeah, uh, and thanks, of course, to uh, to our members who came out. A lot of first time. One members at this event, and uh, and a few people did come up and introduce themselves as as I'm one of the dozens, uh, if, which is always great. That's the best that. when people come up, and so listening to this and to to all of our podcasts. So so thank you for that. Alcoa kicked off earnings season late last week, so we're over the next few weeks. We're gonna, it's going to be earnings palooza. What is something you're watching, whether it's a company or an industry, whether it's Someone who really needs a hit, or or something that you're just sort of curious about. Uh, so one thing, you know, recently I brought uh, XPO Logistics ticker is XPO. I brought that over to the watch list in MDP. Um, this is a a brokerage and logistics provider sexy. for the transportation industry. It's very sexy, Chris. I mean, we talk about it all night long, and. Maybe you can get a bottle of wine and a, you know, make an evening of it, right? Uh, Honey, come sit on the sofa with me. I want to talk about XPO so, logistics? So XPO, you know, this is to me, this is a really interesting business though, because when you look at it from from just sort of the bigger picture point of view, I mean, because they're focusing on helping truckers and shippers get things from point A to point B. I mean, it's very vital to our economy that these exist. Yet it's a very fragmented industry. Uh, not only not only domestically, but but globally speaking, and so XPO has for the longest time really been focused on just consolidating this sector, buying up little you know bolt-on acquisitions, and, and becoming a bigger player in this space. It's always been sort of an asset light business that was you know it sort of gave us a you know pretty attractive mar- margins for that perspective. But it, the company's headed up by CEO uh, Brad Jacobs, and he has about twenty three percent of his wealth tied up in this business. Now, XPO recently made a couple of very big acquisitions, and uh, the most recent one was Conway. But what these two acquisitions did is they introduced some heavier assets in the form of trucks to their business model. I think the market was a little bit sort of, I don't know if skeptical, but maybe just felt like they they might have been biting off a little bit more than they could chew at this point, making two very big $3 billion-plus acquisitions back-to-back. To me, while I appreciate those concerns, I also look at a stock here. Shares are down uh, from from their high of, of fifty plus dollars not terribly long ago. Along with you know, management here is basically they're they're rewarded. Their incentives are based on the performance of this business. Um, you know, and, and and making sure that shareholders uh, win along with them. And, and Jacobs has a lot of experience doing this kind of work, building up these businesses. Uh, he built up a business that he sold to waste management, a couple of oil brokerage firms that he did really well with, and so. Shares right now are, are you know kind of in the tank because I think of these these acquisitions and a little bit of uncertainty. It's a tremendous market opportunity. Earnings are coming out I think right in the beginning of November, November fifth, uh, and uh, you know with, with the sort of the short term pessimism in here, I still like that long term trend. So we are we're looking at this one very closely for MDP. 
I'm going to be watching the guidance that we get out of the retail industry. Yeah. I almost don't care what, <laughs> what they put. I if if I'm an analyst on any of those calls, I almost don't care whether it's Walmart, uh, Macy's, Amazon, whoever. I almost don't care what their quarterly earnings <laughs> results are. Just skip right to what are you looking at? What are you expecting as we head into the holiday season? And what do you think they're expecting? Do you have a feeling one way or the other? I don't. No, I don't. And I'm I'm always interested to see if there is a general consensus, or as we've seen in the past, sometimes heading into the holiday season, whether there is a very different set of opinions coming out of different retailers, where you've got some who are saying, "Oh, we're feeling really." Really good heading into the holidays, and others who are really waving the caution flag. And whenever that happens, I always think the same thing, which is one of these is going to be very right, and one of them is going to be very wrong, and there could be a lot of pain involved here. Not that, not that I'm rooting for pain, but I'm. That's the thing I'm watching is just what is the guidance that we start to hear out of the retail industry. Yeah, and we're not seeing any any one you know metric or sign that things are. Really, you know, going to be great, right? I mean, you see these sort of headlines that say, "Well, we're we're getting close to sort of peak, you know, employment now," and and that seems kind of hard to believe. But I guess it is, you know, probably the case. But you know, the flip side of that is wages are still relatively flat, you know, and then housing market seems to be recovering. Well, now they're talking about bumping up interest rates. So what does that do for the cost of borrowing for consumers? How are they going to feel about that? Consumer confidence. You know what? What happens if gas prices start uh, start to go back up? I mean, all sorts of dynamics in play there. Um, you know, I I tell you, man. I mean, what we do every year, like the beginning of the year, we start saving for Christmas, like right when January starts, so that no matter what the what the mood come, you know, November and December, we're we're feeling like we we're prepared no matter what. Smart. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Fuller. The show is mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.